Um, I, I know you've heard people say this long before I'm saying it, but um, the Apostle Paul is um, quite a genius. Uh, the, the way he develops his arguments are, are really very, very impressive. And there's no better example of that genius than uh, Romans chapter 6. This is a, a uh, it, it's unfortunate in one sense the way we study it, because we take a verse and isolate it from the, the entire context, and that's somewhat unfortunate. Um, but I, I, I keep starting the same way, trying to remind you that this chapter, at least up to verse 19, and, and, and that's as far as I've prepared, um, is, is about this one theme, and it's his reaction, his very negative reaction to the suggestion that is contained in verse 1. That is, um, as he develops this glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone, it comes to his mind that perhaps some will misunderstand it and will react by saying, Okay, Paul, if we're saved by grace through faith and not by works, then should we not then continue in sin that grace may abound? And his reaction to that is, is comprehensive, it is, it is powerful, it is emotional, it is pastoral, it is intelligent, it is genius... And it is, he doesn't ever seem to be able to say enough. Uh, I, for one, would certainly have hated to have entered into the debate with the Apostle Paul. Because uh, he is trying to disprove this, this possible reaction, and he's done it in every possible way uh, imaginable. And we get another, another piece of his argument in verses 17 and 18 tonight. So let me read you verses 17 and 18 again. It's isolated from the context, but remember that the context is he's trying to uh, uh, overturn the objection that he mentions in verse 1. In verse 17, we read the following words. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Uh, God willing... That's what we'll try to cover tonight. Verse 17 contains one of, in, uh, in, in this argument of his, contains one of the clearest definitions found anywhere in the New Testament as to what it exactly means to be a Christian. Now again, um, he's trying to overturn this idea that someone could say, well, being a Christian would allow you to continue in sin. Well, this is just one of the arguments saying, here is what's happened. Um, this is what's happened to all of us who are Christians. Here's what's happened. Uh, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Um, he is saying that God is to be thanked that though at one time you were one thing, you are not that thing any longer. And God is to be praised. God is to be thanked. You are no longer this thing that you used to be. And by making this statement, he gives us, I think, a fairly clear definition of what has happened to any Christian. And certainly what has happened, what he defines as happening to Christians. And it can be summarized like this. 
What has happened to us, my brother and sister in Christ, is that there has been an incredible, an enormous change that you and I have undergone. Um, Notice, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin. That is an enormous, yes, that used to be true of you. But that is no longer true. Every Christian has undergone an enormous change. You know, there's a statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one that's familiar to many of you, I think. But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and new things have come. Well, that same kind of idea is before us tonight. There was, there was a condition that used to be true of you, but that is descriptive of what you were in the past. You have now undergone a tremendous change because none of us were born Christians. And by the way, none of us were born neutral either. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 describes us as being, by nature, children of wrath. One of the things that I'm, um, that I'm doing in trying to prepare for this trip to Budapest is that I'm trying to really uh, hone some of my skills in terms of uh, understanding Islam because there is a fairly significant Islam, uh, Muslim presence in Budapest. And so I'm reading this book that Jim Newsom is teaching that he recommends very highly and uh, written by Norman Geisler. And, and um, um, so I've begun to read this book. Um, and it's interesting uh, the, the enormous differences in Islam and Christianity. But one of them is this, that one of the things that Islam teaches is that you are born perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that Christianity doesn't teach that. You were not born a Christian. You were born, um, you were woven, you were conceived in iniquity. And by nature, children of wrath. Uh, so it is necessary that if any of us are ever going to enjoy eternity uh, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, that we, be, that we undergo a tremendous change. By the way, if I could kind of do this somewhat as an aside... Uh, concerning this change. Because for some of you, that's a problem. And I'm speaking somewhat pastorally now. This is, this is kind of apart from the text, but just trying to address a, an issue that comes up from time to time. For many of you who were born and raised in Christian homes, um, you cannot look back and point at a change. For some of us who went through the first 22 years of our lives as wild screaming pagans, And uh, um, we can remember, we can very clearly, distinctly remember a change. But for some of you, you were raised in a home where your parents um, uh, exalted and and glorified the Lord Jesus. And the the very first time you heard the name, it was said with reverence and and treated with uh, as a sacred uh, person. And you don't ever remember a time where you didn't believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here I am standing and saying, there was an enormous change in us. And you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't remember any change in me. 
Well, guys, uh, if I could calm you just for a moment, there, there is a discussion that has arisen in the evangelical world, and, and I think it's somewhat of an unfortunate discussion concerning uh, if you don't know the date and the time of your conversion, you must not be converted. I've heard that said in this church. I've heard it said in this church. That if you don't know the date and the time that you became a Christian, you must not be a Christian. I want to uh, object to such a, a posture. Um, the New Testament describes a Christian in a lot of ways. One of the words that it uses is it describes the wedding feast of the Lamb. Of the Lamb, that is, you and I have been called to a great wedding feast. It describes uh, one's closure with Christ as a wedding. Him being the bridegroom and us being the bride and all that business. Now, many of us, many, many of us remember the day that we were married, I hope. Another one of the metaphors that is used in the New Testament to describe the believer is rebirth. I dare say not many of us remember the day of our birth. Do you, you see my point? The, 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 the metaphorical language of the New Testament describes... Uh, the, the event as a, as a new birth, liking it to a, a physical birth. Well, we don't remember that. Uh, other places, it describes it as a, as, a, as a marriage. Well, we remember that. My point being this. Some of you do remember. I remember. I remember the night that uh, with every head bowed and eye closed, um, a woman... I shouldn't say it like that. A dear sister in the Lord uh, was preaching uh, and uh, was leading a Bible study on Matthew chapter 7. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and uh, many there be that uh, travel down it, and there's the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And this woman, Virginia Schmidt, said, you know, uh, any of you feel like you're on the wrong road and would like to get off the wrong road and run on the right road? And, and I stuck up my little hand. Well, guys, I do remember. Some of you don't. And I can say there has been somewhat of a noticeable change. Um, actually, it's, a, it's, it's that before that change that I don't want you to know much about. Um, but there, and so my point is, but for some of you, you don't see that change. You were raised in a Christian home and you kind of snuck into the kingdom. And you don't ever remember a day not believing in Jesus. Guys, there's, there's nothing to be alarmed about in that. Uh, very frankly, I, I envy you. I was listening to a tape uh, recently by John MacArthur. And um, it was an interview that was being conducted. And uh, his father was a Christian. His grandfather was a Christian. His grandmother's father was a... Excuse me, I'm sorry. His father was a preacher. His grandfather was a preacher. His grandmother's father was a preacher. And I, I covet that. I wish I'd gone through college and high school as a believer. I didn't. Um, and I remember that change. But some of you don't. Uh, don't let it trouble you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his books called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. Have you ever read that book? Um, you know, it seems that I'm in more discussions about depression these days than, than I've ever known before. But uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a very classic volume called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. I think it's the first chapter. He talks about people who were raised in Christian homes being most susceptible to depression. Now, isn't that interesting? 
and he, he makes the point that because there is no quantifiable, observable, objective change, they wrestle and struggle with the idea, am I real? Have I really gone through a conversion experience? Well, guys, relax. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, I don't know when it happened. And let's bless God that you just kind of snuck into the kingdom and one day you were sitting in church and you realized, huh, what he's saying, that's what I believe. And there never was a period where you were going to SAE parties and doing things that you regret. Um, so let's, let's, let's celebrate that. Now, but back to the, the point of this text, and that is, he is describing something that happens, uh, giving us a definition of a Christian. This change, you were, but you aren't anymore. Um, uh, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now, I want you to know something about the text. I want you to notice the enormity of that change because it touches the entire personality. First of all, he says, you obeyed. Well, that's a reference, of course, to what, something, what, what one would do with one's will. Uh, from the heart, you obeyed from the heart. Addressing more of the, the center of our whole personality, our whole emotional life. And then he says, that form of doctrine. That is, you obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine. He's touched all the bases, ladies and gentlemen. You obeyed with the will, you believed with your heart, and you um, uh, subscribed to a form of doctrine. You were delivered. So the mind, the heart... And the will are all mentioned in this text. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that, is, um, that is true of all of us. You can't be converted in mind only. You can't be converted in will only. You can't be converted with heart only. It's a, it's a package deal. The heart, the mind, the will, it all gets swept by grace into the kingdom. I remember... Uh, years ago, um, a young woman who had just come to know the Lord said to me, um, in the whole process of her passing from a uh, kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, she said, my heart hurt. And I thought, how dear. Here's a woman who is experiencing something that, is, that has taken her to the core of her being that ultimately gets flushed out in the way that she thinks and the way that she chooses. Guys, that's true of all of us. You obeyed from the... You used to be a slave of sin, but not... You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now, an, another thing that, that I, I just... I love to harp on, and um, those of you who have been around me enough know I harp on it. It's this idea of this form of doctrine. Guys, um, Christianity is not calling you to an experience... It is calling you to truth. The reason that I'm a Christian is because I believe it's the truth. Or Islam might be true. But if it is, for heaven's sake, go give your life to it. But my point is, Christianity is not calling you to enjoy a particular experience. Now, it leads to experiences and it includes experiences and I hope you have lots of good experiences. But... Ultimately, the way that experiences are given is via this glorious, liberating doctrine of ours. That's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free to enjoy all kinds of experiences. But guys, first and foremost, Christianity calls you to think. Remember that, that Wednesday night series I did a couple of years ago? I had just come back from Israel and, and uh, there's all these people over in Israel and, you know, you got the Coptic uh, Orthodox and you got the Greek Orthodox and you got the Muslims and you got the Christians and you got this, this Rod Parsley and you got everybody over there. They're all a bunch of fanatics, including me. And I remember getting back on the plane and saying, wait a minute, not all of us can be right here. Not all of us can be fanatically committed to the truth. So let's, and you remember I said, um, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I did all that little apologetic series thing. And, and um, why is it that I'm so convinced that Islam is a cult and that Christianity is the truth? Well, have you thought about that? Because ultimately, guys, all, Christianity has asked you or invites you to think. It does not ask you to commit intellectual suicide. It asks you to weigh the truth and commit yourself to it. You know that great story in, in um, you know that great story. It's in uh, um, 18, 1st or 2nd Kings, I forget. I think it's 1st Kings 18. No, it's probably 2nd Kings 18. Uh, about, about Elijah. And, uh, you know, and Elijah meets on Mount Carmel. And um, uh, uh, he, uh, he, there's 400 of those prophets of, uh, of Baal up there. And, and, you know, he says, all right, all right, if Baal be God, for heaven's sake, serve him. And then they have a little contest, you know, where they pour the water on the sacrifices and God answers from heaven and licks up the water and the sacrifice with fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a point there, guys. If Baal is God, for heaven's sake, serve him. But if Jehovah, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who exists in a tri Trinitarian form, which Islam says no to, by the way, and anything that uh, competes with this Unitarian view of God, I mean, if they're right, for heaven's sakes, get yourself some kind of toga. I guess that's what they wear. But if Christianity is right, it's a form of doctrine, guys. You have obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine. That's what's happened to us. I believe in Christianity for the same reasons I believe in the multiplication tables. Because every time I figure out my checkbook, two times two equals four. It's true, and I can build my life on it. And so can you do that spiritually when it comes to uh, Christianity. Now, uh, that's my... my one of my loves, but um, Christianity doesn't simply deal with one part of me. It sweeps over my mind, my emotions, and my will. And the, the change that's involved um, in, involves a complete change in, of ownership. That's what the text says. Um, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of, of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You used to be a slave of sin, but the ownership has changed. I have been emancipated from a, from a former bondage. And I am now bound to a master whose service is perfect, glorious liberty. I used to be a slave of sin, but I'm not anymore. In fact, you know that, that, that famous uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that talks about your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You've been bought with the price. Let me just read that for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 
uh, says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are not your own! There's been a complete shift of ownership. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit and holy. That's what, when Paul describes what has happened to us, guys, he says there's been an emancipation from one former slavery, and um, we now belong to, to a new owner. He then tells us in this text uh, how this change has come about. Now, guys, you need to see this. Um, I, as I've already said, the first way that I think you can point out in verse 17 that this change has taken place is because of this truth that I've just been mentioning. The first agency used by God to bring about this, this whole transformation is that form of doctrine. Uh, um, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That is, um, there is a sense in which you do not step off into some spiritual blind date. There must be a, a lowest common denominator of truth available to you. The first agency of transformation is truth. But now I want you to notice carefully. Notice, um, the text says, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you were obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Does that strike you as odd? Is it stated oddly? Well, let me point out what's odd, what, what, not, what I don't think is odd, but... Um, um, this form of doctrine that you've bought into, it says here, it's a doctrine to which you were delivered. I want you to notice also in verse 18, I don't know if we're going to get this far, but having been set free from sin. Do you notice anything interesting about those two statements? They're both stated in the passive. Do you see that? Having been set free, to which you were delivered. Guys, who, who did that delivering? Who did that? There's only one answer, guys. And that's God. It's all of God. God delivers us to this new doctrine. I, I want you to see just one other... I don't know whether you can find it real fast, but in Colossians chapter 1, a similar statement is made by the Apostle Paul. Um, might illustrate it better. It's in verse 13. Um, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Do you see that? That's, first, that's Colossians 1.13. That is, He delivered us from one domain and transferred us, conveyed us into another kingdom. That's what's being said here, guys, in verses 17 and 18. God delivered us to another to another place. It is He who is to be thanked because He has done such a grand redemptive work in, 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 in His people. Then, uh, also in this text, verse 17, the, the, the evidence of this great change, what is the evidence that this great change has taken place? Look at the text. To what does uh, being delivered to this new doctrine lead? Um... But God be thanked that though you were slaves, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What does it result in? Once I arrive at this new doctrine to which He delivers me, it results in obedience. 
Because the, the, the essence of slavery to sin is disobedience. The essence of slavery to righteousness is obedience. The evidence that I have been delivered to this new found doctrine is that I obeyed from my heart. Obedience is a mark, guys. It's the mark of the reality of the great work of redemption that God has uh, wrought in us. Now, that's a definition of Christian. This enormous change that's taken place in the entirety of my being, wrought by God, resulting in obedience. There it is. That's a pretty decent definition of a Christian, isn't it? A wonderful work of grace by God that changes every part of me that is evidenced in obedience. That's a believer. Now, let's, let's see if we can cover 18 real quick. Um, uh, and having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. Now, guys, I know this might be a little bit difficult, but in a lot of ways, verse 18 serves the same purpose as does verse 11. It does this, Paul is doing the same thing in verse 18 as he's doing in 11. Verse 18 does for the last few verses of chapter 6 what verse 11 did for the first few verses of chapter 6. It's a statement. It is, not, um, uh, it is not an exhortation. It is not a commandment. It is a statement of fact. And it is, a, it is a summary description of the Christian's position. Now look at it. This is descriptive of all of us. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now that is a description of our position. And then in verse 19, having said that, because that is true, because verse 18 is true of us, then he is about to make an appeal based on this true position that is ours. We'll get to verse 19 uh, next week or one other week. But, but the, the point is, this is a description of our position as Christians. It's a statement of fact. So, uh, exactly what is it that is true of us? It says, having been set free from sin. So, what is true of us? He starts with the negative. Having, the, the first thing's true of us is that we have been set free from sin. Now guys, um, that does not mean that we are perfect. Uh, verse 19 will make that very clear. He makes an appeal to you in 19 to present your members as slaves of righteousness. Uh, being set free from sin doesn't mean that, that I've been rendered perfect, nor does it mean that we are, no longer have a sinful nature, nor does it mean that we are free from temptations. Uh, what it means is that I've been set free from one bondage, and now I'm a slave of righteousness. Uh, you became... That, that because grace has set me free from that, it has released me to this. Um, guys, this is what's descriptive of all of us. We used to serve another master, but now we serve a different one. And having been set free, now I'm a slave of righteousness. We don't simply admire righteousness or desire righteousness. We have come under the power and central influence of righteousness. And if I can use a synonym, this is just the one that I choose. I'm not sure anybody would agree with me. But um, if we have come under... Righteousness, I think, can be equated with Christ-likeness. 
I've been set free from a dominion of darkness, and I have been transferred to the kingdom of His Son. And, and I am now under that reign. So having come out from one tyranny, I'm now um, immediately, I'm under another um, rulership, ownership. And that ownership is righteousness. Now, um, how does that all work out, guys? Let me say rather quickly. Um, to be born again makes you and I a recipient of a new principle of righteousness, and that new principle begins to work in us at once. That is, the moment we taste of the new birth, this new principle of righteousness begins to flesh itself out, and the Christian uh, begins to demonstrate this newness little by little, inch by inch, slowly but surely, making... Gains along the way. <clears throat> and there's a sense, guys, in which life got awfully complicated when that happened. There's, no, there's really no complication in, a, in an unregenerate man's life. He has one principle, and it's dragging him downstream. Now, uh, having been born of the Spirit, you're being enticed upstream. You're, you're fighting a, a whole other set of principles. But the primary incentive to holy living is this gratitude to the one who has set me free. But God be thanked. God be thanked that I've been set free from that and I'm now a slave of His. That's the incentive, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you this story and I'll quit. I've, I've told this story before, but I love to tell it. But uh, if you haven't heard, it's a great, great story. But um, it's a story about uh, the Civil War days when Abraham Lincoln went to the auction block to buy, uh, or uh, went to the auction block and noticed that there was a young black woman who was on sale at the auction block, and he um, he bought her. And having clothed her, you know, they were sold naked. And uh, having clothed her, he uh, looked at her and said, uh, "You're free. You're free to go." And this black woman thinking that um, uh, he's just like any other white man that's going to use her and abuse her. And, and, and she says, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can go anywhere I want to go? And Abraham Lincoln said, yes, it does. It means that you can go anywhere you want to go. And she said, well, does it mean that I can uh, be anything I want to be? And he said, yes, it does. It means you can uh, be anything you want to be. He said, well, like, does it mean that I can say anything I want to say? And he said... Uh, Yes, it does. It means you can say anything you want to say. She thought about it a minute and she said, I can be anything I want to be. I can say anything I want to say. And I can go any place I want to go. I think I'll go with you. The, The gratitude for someone having set her free motivated her to chase after him. Guys, that's the incentive for our desire after obedient, godly, Christ-like living. Let God be thanked that we've been set free from that. Do you remember it? Some of us do. Some of us were old enough to remember the absolute vacuum that existed on the inside. 
I've got to be thanked. And let him be thanked by watching as I develop more and more similarities to his son. Let's quit. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you will find in us those vast similarities that are becoming more distinct, more observable, more quantifiable. Might people be able to see indeed that there has been, that, that these people over here have undergone some kind of enormous change and they're living out a life that's an effort to thank God that their lives have been so marvelously changed. And Father, those of us remember who remember those days of meaningless living, we thank You. We thank You that we are no longer slaves of sin. We thank You that we have been emancipated from that tyranny of, of chasing after emptiness. And that you have delivered us to a new form of doctrine. And having set us free from the bondage of sin, we find ourselves tethered to a new slave owner whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Father, grant us grace to chase after Jesus Christ with greater passion with greater success, and with greater result. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.